You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee Now you can be Welcome to the 8 a.m. All Addictions meeting. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm not sure if anyone's here. Hopefully people can join. I just tweeted it again for fun. But uh, yeah, welcome. And this is an All Addictions meeting, trying to do every morning at 8 a.m. Uh, I just saw somebody posted a Twitter space. Phil just posted one and said he's got a speaker. That's a good idea. I could probably get a speaker for this meeting, but if there's no speakers, I welcome people to join and uh, speak. You know, I think anyone can speak. This is a, not a specific 12-step uh, program meeting, but it's based on the 12 steps. Um, me personally, I've been sober 25, over 25 years uh, from drugs and alcohol. And I also suffered from other addictions that I'm working on. You know, I will tell you last night, I had a strong sugar urge and um, sugar is a tough one for me. And I try and avoid it. I try not to do it. And sometimes I do. And last night, you know, I had some ice cream yesterday. I had some ice cream and I'm just such an addict, you know, it's funny because um, drugs and alcohol are so far in my rearview mirror. You know, I don't have a desire to drink anymore at all or do drugs. But, you know, when I start thinking about how there's ice cream in the freezer, that feels probably just what it feels like to a drug addict or an alcoholic who's brand new sober. You know, so in some ways, you know, they say we, you know, we ask God to remove our character defects that aren't useful to other people. Right. So in some ways, my other addictions remind me what it feels like to be a newcomer and remind me what it feels like to be powerless again, you know, and to really just, you know, I start thinking about it a little bit and then I just decide, well, I'm probably going to do it. And then I know I'm going to do it, you know, and I just wait for everyone to go upstairs and to be alone. And, you know, and I'm not sneaking a drink. I'm sneaking a pint of ice cream, which is, uh, I don't know, <laughs> crazy. You know, and I think it's, it is similar um, in a way, at least for me. But as they say, you know, uh, a bowl of ice cream is not going to kill me, but drugs and alcohol will, you know, drugs and alcohol will. Um, so, you know, I'm not quite sure what to talk about today. You know, I just posted a newcomer tip, uh, pro tip on Twitter. I'm starting to use this Twitter more, uh, the recovering CEO. I started a podcast, I'm publishing podcasts as a recovering CEO, and I'm excited about it because, I, you know, my goal is to stay sober and to help others achieve sobriety. I have to do that. I want to do that. I feel like the only way I'm going to stay sober is if I do that, you know. Um, I can't just live a regular life anymore. I feel like, you know, I'm happiest when I'm helping others get sober. I'm happiest when I'm talking about recovery. Um, it's just more fulfilling, 
you know? So then the question is, can I make money on that? Maybe, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see, you know, a friend of mine, Gary V says, you know, start talking about your life and see if anyone gives a shit, you know? So I'll try it. I'll try it. You know, I mean, I'm 49 years old. I live in the Midwest in cold and snowy Michigan, you know, sure. I've been sober 25 years from drugs and alcohol. You know, I'm, I sponsor people. I have sponsor, uh, I have a sponsor in multiple programs. You know, I've worked the steps through numerous times. Um, but I'm still a human being, you know, and I still struggle. And I think, you know, life is about the struggle. I think the key is to enjoy the journey and enjoy the struggle, you know, um, trudging the road of happy destiny. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said it was going to be a cakewalk. You know, there's good days and there's bad days. And as long as I don't drink or pick up a drug, it's usually a good day, right? That's really, really true. You know, and then there's just beyond that, it's levels of how good I feel, you know? Um, And I feel really, really good, you know, when I'm being purposeful with work, when I'm taking care of myself, you know, when I'm eating healthy, when I'm doing healthy behaviors, you know, um, exercising, uh, just, you know, being present with my family, you know, listening to my kids or listening to my wife and just being a good person, you know, that feels wonderful. That feels great. You know, everything else on top of that is just gravy. You know, sure. Some days are good at work. Some days, you know, new business comes in, more money comes in. People are happy, you know, things get finished, you know, you achieve goals. That's all good. Um, but really each day, you know, sobriety is the base point, you know, it's, it's the starting point. You know, there's a friend of mine in the program who would always say, well, how are you doing today, Derek? And I'd be like, well, at least I'm sober. And he'd be like, no, man, no, that's just the beginning. You know, sober is just the beginning. Um, when I say I'm just sober, what does that mean? Or I'm, at least I'm sober. That means I'm probably struggling and everything else. And, and that's how it works. I mean, it's, it's a struggle. Um, but then as I gain awareness, you know, as I gain awareness over my addictions, I gain awareness over the things that are causing me problems in my life. And then I start to turn them over to a higher power and get rid of them, you know? So, you know, yesterday I made a conscious choice that I was going to eat sugar. Um, I'm not sure how long that's going to go on for, but, um, Eventually, it will bother me enough to the point where I turn it over and commit to not doing it again. And, um, and then I'll work on abstaining, you know, uh, you know, for, for sugar, that's definitely something that I'm better at abstaining with than um, moderating. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not very good at moderating. I'm not, um, you know, I, I like things a lot. You know, if I like it a little, I like it a lot. You know, if I really like uh, the chili you made, I'm going to eat it until I can't eat it anymore. I'm just not really good at moderating. And I've been working on that. You know, my wife is on this um, program where, you know, bright lines, eating, we eat with bright lines. And it's wonderful. You know, it teaches you to, you know, you eat three meals, measured portions, you know, different protein, grain, fat, um, vegetables, you know, there's different fruit, there's different elements of it. And you have three meals a day, 
no snacking and it's great. You know, I lost, I lost almost a hundred pounds doing that. Um, it works, you know, but then lately I've been eating out a little bit and not being too good with my portions, you know, and then I start to gain a little weight and really life is progress, not perfection. You know, it's progress, not perfection. I can't beat myself up. I am not perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, but you know what I've learned is people still love me, you know, and people really think I'm a good person, you know? And even though I feel like I'm a bad person or I feel like I don't deserve this or I'm an imposter, you know, when I talk to others, that they tell me, you know, Derek, you really, you exude a lot of confidence and you attract people to you and you have all these benefits, you know? So it, sometimes it takes someone else to tell me that I'm good, you know, because for some reason I have a self-critic. Um, you know, and I remember when I, when I got about a year sober, uh, which was a long time ago, you know, and I had worked through the steps, you know, and, and the 12 steps is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we sought to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. Um, and I'm like, well, geez, I don't know if I've had a spiritual awakening, you know, I'm not sure. And I talked to my uncle who was in the program and he said, you know, Derek, he said, you've changed so much in the last year. You know, he said, I saw you when you were trying to get sober, you know, about a little over a year ago. Um, you were a mess. You were a mess. And today, turning into a fine young man, you've just advanced spiritually a lot. You look much healthier. You look happier. And you could feel it, you know. And it's kind of like uh, they talk about in the doctor's opinion. You know, Dr. Silkworth couldn't even recognize Bill W. after he'd been sober for a year. He's like, this is not the same person I knew. You know, it's complete transformation, but funny because me, when I transform, it's like one day at a time, you know, so when I look in the mirror, I don't look any different and I don't think I'm any different, you know, but, um, that's why it's important to have friends. It's important not to be alone, you know, um, because others can see it in me, you know, others can see the positive change and that's, that's wonderful. You know, I encourage you if you are new in sobriety to go to meetings. You know, it's a little bit weird during COVID right now, honestly. Um, I love in-person meetings. You know, we didn't even have Zoom meetings back when I was getting sober, obviously. Certainly didn't have Twitter spaces. Um, but I love in-person meetings. You know, just go there and be honest. You know, be honest. One of the reasons I loved AA was people were honest. You know, people talked in those meetings much different than they talked anywhere else. Um, it was wonderful, you know, and I was starting to learn about life and learn about people and people were sharing things that were normally secret. And I loved it, you know, because really uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, I really enjoyed the insights into people and what made them tick and I could relate to it. It's like, wow, man, I'm really like these people, you know, I can relate. And that's so important, you know, so as a newcomer, I always say it's important to remember how you feel because you're never gonna feel like this again, right? You never feel like it does as a newcomer. I mean, that is raw, that is raw and real. You know, and that's one of the reasons in some ways my other addictions, I don't hate them because they remind me what it's like to be a newcomer and what it's like to have a, such a strong urge to do something that it's hard to control, you know? Um, it's a good reminder. I never wanna forget what it's like to be brand new sober. And I never want to go back there. 
You know, I never want to go back there. I never want to be back to one day sober. I don't. You know, and everyone says, yes, yeah, one day at a time. Uh, the person that's been sober is the one that got up the earliest, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm not even going to mess with that because, you know, I don't want to relapse. I don't. I know what it's like, you know, once, once, you know, cause I, cause I've experimented, you know, but I've experimented maybe with, um, ice cream, like I said, right. Or, or with some other addiction. Right. And once I start it, once I try it once, then it's kind of in my head again, it makes me want to do it again. It talks to me. It's easier to do it the second time, you know? So I, I don't want to do that with drugs and alcohol, you know, August 13th, 1996 is my sobriety date. I never want to go back ever, ever, ever. I never want to experiment with that. I have experimented with that. I know, you know, and I also know that my disease is right outside doing push-ups. You know, while I'm inside at the meeting, my disease is outside doing push-ups, getting stronger. So I'm not going to mess with that. You know, I have a healthy, healthy fear of drugs and alcohol. You know, I understand them. I do recoil from them as I would from a hot flame. It's not a joke, you know? And I mean, if I'm honest, you know, in the last couple of years uh, in Michigan here, marijuana is legal now. Recreational marijuana is legal. And that's been kind of triggering. You know, I've gone inside some of these dispensaries and it's just amazing. I mean, it's like there's a there's an iPad there and you can swipe through and read about all the different drugs and there's you know, flower buds and gummy bears and all these different things, vapes. Um, it's amazing. And it's reasonably priced and they'll give you discounts and you can buy it and walk out. I can put it right on my credit card and walk out of there with whatever I want. You know, and back when I was using, it was so hard to get good weed. You know, it was illegal. It was stressful. You had to deal with shady characters sometimes. You're always afraid, you know, the police were going to come. And these days, you have nothing to be afraid of. That's been a little triggering for me, honestly. You know, the ease in which you can get marijuana these days is definitely triggering for me. And, you know, I just need to be aware of it. I need to turn it over. You know, I'm powerless over that. I'm powerless. You know, I'm powerless over the laws. And I actually think marijuana should be legal. You know, I know it makes it sometimes easier for people to get maybe easier for kids to get um but i think if it's legal it removes the stigma which was part of the problem you know part of the problem was the paranoia and the fear um it really was you know and i you know i had to drink more because it was just easier to get alcohol you can always get alcohol you know liquor store opens at 7 a.m you can go get alcohol but uh, drugs, you know, I, I pretty much spent all my time getting drugs. That was also it. It took a lot of time. You know, I thought about it all the time. I worked my network all the time. You know, I was always trying to get it. If you didn't have it, it stressed me out. If I had it, I was happy, you know. And that was just a vicious cycle. But these days, you can just walk right down to the dispensary and get whatever you want. Shoot, they'll even deliver to your house. You know, like a good drug dealer delivering things to your house. Um these people won't come in, you know, that drug dealer sometimes will come in and sketch everybody out. <laughs> uh, so anyways, that has been a little bit triggering, to be honest. Uh, but I know that marijuana is not for me. You know, as much as I loved it, that was my drug of choice. I know that I'm not going to do it again. And I don't want to do it again. 
because for me with marijuana, I just couldn't stop. You know, I, I loved it. I would get high all the time. I did everything high. Everything was more enjoyable high. That was it. I was high all the time and I could handle it. You know, I thought I could, um, except that I think it kind of started making me a little crazy, you know, because it, it gave me a lot of good thoughts. You know, I enjoyed the thoughts I had um, when I was high, you know, and some of the big ideas. But really, honestly, a lot of that was just BS. You know, it wasn't real. And some of the thoughts were crazy. You know, they were crazy. And and I just couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do it. Um, so I don't want to go back there. And, you know, so newcomers, back to that. Newcomers, when you go to meetings, it's important to share where you're at. Pick a sobriety date, right? That's one of the things I tweeted about this morning. Pick a sobriety date, share it at the tables, start collecting your tokens, you know, announce every day. They're usually in the first 30 days, you give your sobriety date every day. And then at 30 days, you get a token. And then, you know, probably wait till 60 days then 90, um, then six months, then nine months, then a year, right? Get your tokens. Because I'll tell you, there's nothing that gives greater joy to the people at the meeting than to watch a newcomer come in and get sober. It just makes me so happy, you know? It's wonderful. And it's wonderful to be a part of that, right? So you sit at a table with someone or you, you know, share a meeting with someone and then they contribute to your sobriety, right? So that makes me feel useful, right? So here I am talking in an empty Twitter space. I don't know if anyone's listening. If you are, uh, comment or poke your head in or something, let me know. Um, but I don't know if anyone's listening. You know, I am recording this. So my hope is to put this out as a podcast and hopefully it'll be interesting. Um, you know, but I'm not sure who's here. You know, I would love to turn this into a vibrant Twitter space where people would join and be a part of a community and share. You know, everyone on Twitter space is talking about fucking NFTs. I mean, really, who gives a shit? You know, they all want to make money on NFTs. Oh, teach me about NFTs, blah, blah, blah. You know, how about teach me about sobriety? How about we get some people with some experience, strength, and hope to share who can share on this Twitter space and help newcomers? You know, shoot, we could make this a newcomer meeting. You know, I call it all addictions uh, in some ways because I don't want to be a straight up AA meeting. You know, I, I am not affiliated with AA, right? Um, I encourage people to go to AA. I'm not affiliated and I don't. This meeting doesn't necessarily follow the same structure and format, right? It's a Twitter space. It's a place where people in recovery can come, where people who want to be sober can come, where people who don't know if they're an addict can come and listen and learn and maybe share. You know, I think there is something to be said for sharing. Uh, some people do share. You know, the first time I did this, um, a gentleman named Mark popped in and shared, and it was wonderful. So, you know, if you're out there, just share. Come on in and share. And uh, let me see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet again. Let me just see if I can get someone in here. Maybe. <laughs> All right, let's see. Boom. All right, just tweeted that out again. We'll see if anyone takes the bait. So... You know, but it's it's wonderful for to watch people get sober and advance in their sobriety. So do that. Don't hide. Don't hide. You know, we, we used drugs and alcohol alone, 
but together we can get sober, right? Together we can get sober. Um, so join us, you know, join us. We will surely meet some of you as we trudge the road of happy destiny. You know, I follow this hashtag recovery posse on Twitter. And, um, you know, honestly, I've been on Twitter pretty much since it came out. You know, I have a different Twitter account. I don't really use it that well. You know, I don't because I always felt like I never really had much to say, you know, so I would read Twitter a little bit. Lately, I've been using my other account for sports. You know, I'm a big sports fan. Um, but I started this Twitter because I started the Recovering CEO podcast. And so I've been following Recovery Posse, and it's a wonderful group of people, you know, and it's a lot of people who've been sober, who uh, are getting sober, people who talk about sobriety and share their experience, strength, and hope. And I love that. And so that's fun. You know, this is new for me. I've only started interacting re just recently. You know, so any of you are out there, Recovery Posse, you're like, who's this dude? You know, who's the recovering CEO with tells this? Um, so that's who I am. You could say I'm a newbie to the recovery Twitter space. Um, just never got into it. But I realized it is a nice way to interact. It is a nice way to share, you know. And my podcast, my goal is to help others. You know, the recovering CEO is really about the intersection of business and addiction. I think there's a lot of addiction in the business world. You know, I've been a CEO, I've run businesses, I've worked in business, you know, pretty much since I graduated college. And there's a lot of it, you know, and as someone who's gotten sober, been sober, you know, I want to help other people in business to realize that if they have an addiction, there's a place to go for help, that um, to help them stop behaviors before it causes problems, you know, before it causes problems, then they lose their job. Before it causes problems, they lose their family, you know? Um, it's interesting, you know, I've learned for men, the job is the last thing to go, you know? So for alcoholic and drug addicts, um, they'll lose their family, they'll lose their children, they'll lose their home. They always hold on to their job. Uh, why is that? Because money, right? You can't get high if you don't have money. You can't get drunk if you don't have money. So they always hold their job, they'll lose everything else. And that's really kind of a scary thought because my family is worth so much more than that, you know? And, um, you know, I think about my family. I love my family. I'm married. I've been married for like 22 years. I have two kids, wonderful kids. Uh, one's in college, one's in high school. And they mean the world to me, right? And I know that even though I've been sober, I'm not the perfect dad, you know? They say you always hurt the ones you love. It's... um I mean, that is true, you know, but I don't want to hurt the ones I love. You know, I want to be a better husband, a better father. Um, and so I work on it. You know, I think sobriety gives you the gift of awareness. Sobriety makes me aware. And when I'm aware, you know, when I take that daily inventory and I look at myself and I say, hey, Derek, you know, where did I fail today? Where was I good? Where was I helpful? Where was I hurtful? Then I can improve. You know, and when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it, right? Tenth step. I really believe that. You know, I always clean the slate, always try and clean my side of the street so that each day I go to bed with a clear conscience, um, clear mind. You know, I thank God as I understand him, my higher power. I thank my higher power for keeping me sober for the day. You know, I thank, thank Thank God, you know, I say God, but higher power 
and I, I'm not pushing any sort of God. I think you can believe whatever you believe. I just say the word God. I know it has a lot of different connotations for people. Um, you know, but I thank my higher power for everything. You know, I thank him for my dog, for my family, for the work, you know, for I'm able to survive, I'm able to have a home. You know, there's a lot of people that don't have homes. There's a lot of people that are homeless. You know, mental illness affects a lot of people. It causes homelessness. Um, you know, I have mental illness, sure. Uh, God willing, I've been able to kind of manage it, I guess, right? And honestly, the first step for me with mental illness is I have to stop drinking and doing drugs. You know, I know some people that maybe they suffer from bipolar, right? Um, it's really hard to treat bipolarism if you're drinking and doing drugs because the medicine won't work. You know, the drugs won't work. They don't work when you're drinking. They just don't. And if you don't stop drinking, your head will never get right, you know. Um, I know bipolar, you know, when you're bipolar, as I've learned, you know, the, the mania of being bipolar is the high, right? So you don't necessarily need drugs or alcohol. The mania is the high. So a lot of people who are bipolar never want to go on medication because they really like being high. You know, they love the mania of just being bipolar. And, um, you know, I, I know there's treatment for that. I know that people can get help for that. You know, but from my personal experience, you know, until I stopped drinking and doing drugs, I was not going to get better. Once I stopped that, my brain started to heal and repair and it got better and I got better and um, I was able to start seeing things as they are. You know, I always say sobriety gives you the gift of awareness and I started becoming a better person. You know, I think really AA is a self-improvement program, right? If it didn't make me a better person, if I wasn't getting something out of it, I never would have came back. If quitting drugs and alcohol didn't improve my life, I wouldn't come back. You know, improved everything. You know, I mean, alcoholics are pretty smart. Alcoholics are very resourceful. Um, alcoholics are able to do a lot with drinking while doing drugs. You know, it's amazing what I could do while drinking and doing drugs. But once I get sober... <laughs> then I can do even more. You know, the whole world is my oyster, right? I can accomplish anything when I'm sober. Anything. You know, it just takes a little hard work, um, put my mind to it, and I can accomplish anything. And that's wonderful. And that's such a, a blessing and a miracle, you know? And um, it's one of the greatest gifts of sobriety. You know? And I am grateful that my kids never saw me drink. You know, I was... Um, I was raised in a household, you know, we didn't have alcoholism in my family. You know, I was just thinking about that this morning. Um, I was adopted, right? So I was adopted into a family where there really wasn't rampant alcoholism. You know, I think on my mom's side, I mean, my grandpa, when he used to come visit, he would drive over. It was about 45 minutes to drive to our house. And every time he arrived, they would do a shot. You know, they would have a shot and a beer, him and my dad. And sometimes he would have two shots. Um, I'm just like, oh, that must be normal behavior. But really, is it? <laughs> to come to someone's house and do two shots and then have a beer and just start drinking? And he didn't stop. You know, he drank constantly after that. Um, and I remember he kind of come in kind of grumpy, too. You know, I could relate to this being an alcoholic and an addict. 
come in kind of grumpy, you know, you say hi to everyone real quick and then let's go have a shot. You know, you go have a shot, boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden you're not feeling any pain, you know. Uh, was that alcoholic behavior? Nah, I don't know. Um, but I've learned in my biological family, you know, I met my biological parents. They're both wonderful. Um, my biological mom passed away a few years ago from cancer, uh, which was sad, you know, but I did get to meet her and know her for many years before she died. And it really worked on the healing with her. You know, she was involved. She was a Reiki healer, you know, Reiki healing touch. And uh, so I used to go for Reiki treatments. And it was wonderful. It was part of the healing between us, you know, because I think being taken from my biological mother at birth was traumatic. You know, it's not what a kid wants. You know, when you bond with um, your mother for nine months, you don't want to be taken away. <laughs> um, and that's what happened, you know, so that 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 hurt. And, uh, but I always, you know, I always had a sense of anger about that. You know, why would you give me up for adoption? Um, I was mad, you know, I was mad. And when I met her, when I talked to her, I learned, you know, that both of her parents were um, dead. You know, they were both dead and gone and she had no support network. She was in a really bad position and in no position to raise twins. You know, I have a twin brother. So... I shouldn't feel mad about that. You know, by giving me up for adoption, she saved my life. You know, and she always said that giving me up for the adoption was the hardest, the hardest thing she's ever done and the best thing she's ever done. You know, she looks at my brother and I and says, you know, you two are the greatest accomplishment I've ever had, you know, was having, having you two. And uh, that, that meant a lot to me. You know, it meant a lot to me. And for my whole life, I didn't know that. You know, growing up until I was, see, I met her, um, I was 25 years old when I met her. Um, I'm 49 now. You know, but I had lived almost half my life and I didn't know the story. And now I know the story. You know, now I know. And she did it out of love. Not because she didn't want us or want me, you know. And, um, you know, I remember when I was about a year sober, my brother called me and told me that, you know, our biological mother wants to meet us. And I'm like, what? And I guess they found my brother because I was kind of off the grid because I had been following the Grateful Dead and I'd just been off the grid for a while, you know, in my addiction. And um, so we ended up meeting her, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, and I didn't know we could do this. I thought the records were sealed. And I guess she went to unseal the records for adoption, you know, because in the States, uh, through Catholic social services, those records were sealed. She went to unseal them and they said, Hey, you know what? The rules have changed a little bit. If you'd like, we can have one of our people reach out and contact your sons. And if you want to meet them. And so we met her, it was the day after Thanksgiving, I think 1997, I believe. Yeah. Maybe 1998. I don't know. I, maybe 1998. Uh, so we met her and she lived about a mile from me. You know, my wife and I had a house and she was about a mile away, which really kind of freaked me out because it was so close, you know, and I always had so much fear and apprehension over that. Um, she was so close. And, you know, we walked up to the door and I was expecting Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music. You know, I just always had pictured that. You know, my whole life I always had imagined 
what my mom would look like, who she would be. Um, and I just imagine this, you know, beautiful woman who's going to sing songs and, you know, save me and solve all my problems, you know? And, uh, and so the door opens and it's this cute, you know, kind of curly redheaded, short, rosy cheeked woman, you know, didn't really look like Julie Andrews. Um, but you know, Hey, I met her. We sat down, we talked, you know, it was, it was good. It was, it was good for me. It was a healing experience. It was a good experience. Um, and it certainly helped me understand that alcoholism was in my family. You know, my biological father, he has 30 some years sobriety right now. You know, he's been sober a long time, but when I was born, you know, it was just kind of a fling, you know, you just hooked up with my biological mother and, you know, he was a student, she was a student. There was no chance they weren't going to get married. You know, he was on his way to becoming a full blown alcoholic like my, like me. And, um, you know, it was for the best. And I was also raised by good parents. You know, I, I, I hope my parents don't listen to this podcast. I just feel like it's a little personal. If they do listen, mom and dad, you guys are great parents. You know, I love you. Um, and by being raised in an adopted family, it saved my life. I always say if I was never adopted, you know, I'd probably be bouncing, um, door, bouncing the door at a motorcycle bar. You know, I'd be like standing at the door bouncing people and or I'd probably be dead, honestly, because the way that I drink, you know, when I drink, I have a real uh, violent streak, you know, I'm violent and uh, I would have gotten in a fight. I would have gotten killed. I'm sure, you know, I, or I would have killed somebody. Um, so let's just be glad that didn't happen. You know, let's just be glad that didn't happen. I think, you know, being adopted was good for me. It helped me to be raised in a family that, you know, um, had more means, you know, I, I was, went to a good school. I went to Catholic school, all these things, you know, I, uh, I had everything a kid could want, you know, except that I looked dramatically different than my parents, which was weird. You know, that contributed to my feeling of being different, um, you know, and I eventually became an alcoholic. Maybe that was inevitable. I think it might've been, um, but the point is, is I didn't drink till I was a little bit older, right? I feel like if I was in an unhealthy family situation, I probably would have drank much younger, but I didn't drink until really towards the end of my high school career, you know, which allowed me to have good enough grades to get into college. I didn't drink. Um, but then in college, my drinking just took off, you know, and it really caught me by surprise. I had no idea what an alcoholic was, never even thought about alcoholism the word was not part of my vocabulary, you know, alcoholic and alcoholism was not part of my vocabulary. I never thought I was a drug addict. Um, I didn't think drugs were my problem. I just thought I made poor decisions, you know? Um, but then I learned, you know, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I will die if I keep doing that. You know, I learned that through IOP and through, you know, therapy and, I had to work on it. You know, knowledge is a big part of it, right? Education. When you come into this program, it's important to learn that this disease will kill you. It's important to learn about it, understand it. Um, because if you don't have full information, it's hard to make good decisions, right? So when I learned all that, it helped me to make the decision that I wanted to get sober. 
because if I didn't get sober, I would die. So anyways, I don't know if anyone's listening here. It doesn't matter. Uh, This is the recovering CEO. My name is Derek. I'm going to sign off. If you're listening to this on the podcast form, I hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I would really appreciate it and have a sober day. Remember, choose not to drink today. It's a choice. Sometimes people say, I can't drink. And I say, yes, you can. All right, the liquor store is right down the street. Here's 10 bucks. Choose not to drink. Choose. It's a choice. Every day we have a choice. All right. Take care, everyone. God bless. You thought that you could have it all. And life could be a ball. But you fell and scabbed your knee.